Good morning. Whether you are joining us online or here in the sanctuary, welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. You can tell we're in Austin because I'm having allergy voice today. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. I'm the Reverend Aaron Walter, one of a team of ministers here, proud to serve with you. As Unitarian Universalists, we come from a long tradition of seeing the spark of the divine in every person, including ourselves. Whew, that's not always easy. But it's a tradition And in that one, I invite you to greet the holy among us, again, in the comments online or simply by turning to folks around you here in the sanctuary to say good morning and hello. Please join me in saying the words to light the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship comes from Matthew P. Taylor, a Unitarian Universalist witch who was born in 1980 and whose loss was felt deeply, particularly in the Black UU community when Matthew died last year. They were an intern minister at the UU congregation of Rockville, Maryland, and this reading comes from Blue Notes, an anthology of love, justice, and liberation from Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism. I can feel the change coming. Like growing pains, I feel the change in my bones, pulling me, stretching me, forming me into the true I am. Can you feel it? The change in our bodies as we adapt, grow, change, the weight shifting and molding to fit this evolving body that we are in. Guided by faith that this too will pass, we can survive this because our ancestors survived. Can you feel them in your DNA? You, a mixture of their particles that was molded to fit your spirit, change and shift, mold and grow, yet in some ways, we stay the same. In this church, we have a mission statement, speaking of things that are our rock, and we mean it. We mean it, and we wrote it, and we say it every week. Will you say it with me? In this church, together we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. So one of the things that we do as we're thinking about what it means to build the beloved community is we we take a moment for it, a few minutes for it, each week. We talk about a piece of it, and the piece that's been on my heart to talk with you about is urgency. 
For our visitors and friends, Unitarian Universalism is based in a set of principles, including the pillars for some of us, inherent worth and dignity of every person, not earned, inherent worth and dignity of every person, and that all life is connected, that your liberation and my liberation are one, and none of us are fully free until we are all free. In this faith, we draw on an array of sources, from scripture to art to our lived experience, which we trust. Many of our congregations and organizations, including this one, have adopted an eighth principle, answering a call issued by black Unitarian Universalists in recent years. This eighth principle says that we are journeying towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community by our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and our institutions. Now, we know it's a Unitarian Universalist principle because it's a lot of words. <laughs> but they are sacred words, and we mean them. And so in this moment for beloved community, we are reflecting on an element of this journey. So urgency. Urgency is a bit of a tricky one. It's identified by the, by the folks who are doing the work of dismantling white supremacy culture in ourselves and in the world, in our systems, in our institutions. Urgency is identified as an element of white supremacy culture, which we are seeking to dismantle. Yet it is also true that justice and liberation are urgent. Lives depend on us being able to breathe and have spiritual practices to help us tell what is fake urgent and what is truly urgent. So I have been serving as a coach for the Beloved Conversations program, which supports Unitarian Universalist congregations around the country in making anti-racism a spiritual practice. And I've been working with a congregation in Pittsburgh for the last year. And we've been talking about this urgency. We met with Reverend Elizabeth Wynn, who was the first leader of our Side With Love social justice organization nationally. And she talked about this sacred practice of what type of urgency is about getting us free and what is about silencing voices that need to be at the table? So I just want to bring to you a few things to keep in mind about that as we do this work of interim ministry together this year. And think about how we will apply it to the ways we're looking at our church, who we are, what we've been, what we want to be together. Tima Okun, who is one of those people who's doing this work, on their website, whitesupremacyculture.info, says this about urgency. A constant sense of urgency, among other things, makes it difficult to take time to be inclusive, encourage democratic or thoughtful decision-making, think and act long-term, and consider the consequences. A constant sense of urgency frequently results in sacrificing potential allies for quick or highly visible results. Sacrificing the interests of BIPOC people, 
the black indigenous and people of color in our community to win over victories for white people or normative culture. Urgency reinforces existing power hierarchies. Privileges those who process information quickly. And then it says in parentheses, and I love this, or think that they do. <laughs> we do not always know how and what we're doing here. I appreciated that reminder. Urgency sacrifices and erases potential other modes of knowing and wisdom that require more time. Embodied, intuitive, spiritual ways of knowing. We're talking a bit about dance in this service today, and, and we are in a spiritual place. So if ever we needed to be open to those ways of knowing, it is here and it is now. And lastly, I think this is really important. A constant sense of urgency makes it harder for us to distinguish what's really urgent from what feels urgent. And after a while, everything takes on the same sense of urgency, leading to mental, physical, intellectual, and spiritual burnout and exhaustion. Has anybody been tired lately? Yes. All right, so I'm not just going to leave you with the complaints. Here's some of the antidotes from Okun. Antidotes to this constant urgency, leadership who understands that everyone, sorry, everything, takes longer than anyone expects. Board, I invite you to say to us, ministry team, other staff, Chris, other ministers, I invite you to say to me, remember that antidote that leadership understands it takes longer than anyone expects? Another antidote is commitment to equity. A commitment to learning from past experiences. We're going to do that together. We're going to look at our history. An antidote is understanding that rushing decisions takes more time in the long run because the people who didn't get heard will be heard. <laughs> Lastly, developing a personal and collective practice of noticing when urgency arises taking a pause to deliberate with thoughtfulness and intention about the nature of the urgency and the options available to us. I am working on this for me. Don't think for a second that I'm not. So I, again, I invite you to remind me about this this year. I'll leave you with the words of Bayo Okomolafe from the Emergence Network. The times are urgent. Let us slow down. This reading, a poem, comes from Mandy McGlynn, a queer Jewish spiritual director who studied at Meadville Lombard Theological School, our UU seminary in Chicago. She writes, I am the daughter of Miriam. She taught me how to dance over my freedom without stepping on the bodies of my would-be captors. She taught me to walk headlong into impossible waters, to lead the crowd through the narrow place with utter faith that it will hold long enough for us to get free. She taught me how to tie my sandals for a long, unknown journey. 
And most of all, she taught me, by doing more than telling, how to quietly pack tambourines in the terrifying dark of night, when we barely have space to carry sufficient food, water, and blankets to last us through the miles ahead. She taught me that it's not enough to scrape by and survive. We must also be willing and prepared to dance with joy when liberation arrives. We must believe so deeply in our souls in the arrival of that time that we place those timbrels in our packs and pray to the Holy One to send us food. This is a time in the service where we connect with God as we understand God, the mystery that we don't understand at all yet, the truth speaking in the quiet places of our bodies that society or the world may try to drown out with the noise. But here we come every Sunday saying, I will listen. I will hear my truth. And I will listen for the truths of others. Spirit of life and love on this morning of splashing and dancing, but also illness, grief, longing, and change. Be with us in the very present way that we know that you are. Community, remind us of our place in the holy of things. I ask you a question for your heart as we enter a time of sacred silence, knowing, of course, that every sound of the body of humanity is included in that sacredness. My question for you today, what sings from your heart? My heart sings for the joy of all of you. At this time, we gather as we do every week. If you would like to rise in body or spirit and light a candle for someone you love, for a prayer of your heart, for gratitude, this is your time. I invite you to rise if you would like.
It has been a journey to get here. And that's one of the things I love about the eighth principle, talking about journeying toward wholeness. So often we journey to come home. I want to tell you a few things about the tools that I brought today. So I, this is my first service in this role as the uh, Minister for Joy and Justice on your interim ministry team. So I brought some props. I brought bubbles because I've been telling people how much I love bubbles and that any opportunity there is to use bubbles, I would. And so when Kinsey and I from the RE department were working on preparing for our OWL training that's coming up next month, that's our sexuality education program, um, we were back there and I saw all the bubbles and I thought, well, I have to bring the bubbles. So I'm going to be keeping one of these in the interim ministry office which many of you will know lovingly as Reverend Meg's office. And so that is the interim ministry office, and you can come blow bubbles, and you can talk with us about how you're feeling, including the fact that it still feels like Reverend Meg's office. If you miss her, I miss her too. So that's one. This will be in the office if you need a little dose of fun. Get over the tambourine. I brought the hula hoop. And there's three in the office. I brought them from home in Bastrop to remind myself also that I love other people to have joy. And if something brings them joy, it doesn't have to bring me joy. I can be happy for them. I am terrible at hula hooping. I will not be hula hooping today. If you would like hula hooping in this sermon, I invite you, this is shared ministry, to come up here and hula hoop anytime. All right? And if you need some embodiment in your life to shake something off, you can also come into my office and hula hoop anytime, all right? Just remember to keep the joy elements that you love and that give you life close, and also not to yuck somebody else's yum, as the kids like to say. All right. I'm tempted to try, but you don't, you don't want it. <laughs> all right. So, a lot has changed for me since I preached here four and a half years ago, which frankly feels like a lifetime ago. I was shocked to find out when I looked back in the archives that I've been here in the last five years. It just feels like an eternity, and I know that a lot has happened for this church, too. I hope that we can approach this time together with wonder and curiosity rather than assuming what we know about each other. I have changed. I know you have changed. Um, as Matthew P. Taylor said in that piece, we are changing, and some of us, we are all staying the same, some too. So let's have wonder and curiosity. And, and if you ever catch me, again, uh, seeming to assume something about how this church works these days or what it's like based on what it was like in the 1970s when I started coming here, please feel free to wave at me and say, Aaron, remember about wonder? As some of you know, I was co-ordained by this church and Wildflower Church, our UU sibling congregation in South Austin. That's been my community ministry congregation for about five years. I'm going to tell you a little bit about me so that you know a little bit about me, and then you can come, and I want to hear all about you this year as we get to know each other. 
If you were at that ordination, you remember what I think is probably the only Unitarian Universalist ordination to include a Zumba processional. (laughs) Some of you were in it. I see you. So, just saying. Um, I went on to serve as chaplain and director of community engagement and social responsibility for the YMCA of Austin. I loved that job. I loved being in an interfaith, intergenerational, multicultural, multiracial community space every day. A place where I got to lead my dance class every week. We did live music in the lobby. And I used to say to people, if I didn't have a church, the Y would be my church. Well, I do have a church, thankfully. I have quite a few. And it's so good to be home. When the pandemic happened, this time two years ago, many of the jobs at the YMCA were eliminated, including mine. Some of you were witness to my grief over losing my ministry and my community. A lot of us have lost jobs, struggled financially, struggled with loneliness during these past few years. And if that's you, I understand. And I hope if you need to talk about that, you'll come see me or one of the other ministers on the team. Also, I feel deeply and personally, given that experience, even though it's not the same, I feel deeply and personally what it is for this church to be going through a transition with Reverend Meg to Minister Emerita. She was a very important part of my own ministerial formation. She was the first minister that when I told her I wanted to be a minister, she responded warmly and enthusiastically instead of a lot of the other ministers who were like, run, don't do it. (laughs) Thank you, Meg. So today I'm wearing a stole that my husband and my kids, who are 10 and 13, gave me for Christmas in 2020. It represents one of my favorite pieces of scripture, in addition to the Exodus story with Miriam that we're going to talk about today. That line, joy cometh in the morning. It's always darkest before the dawn. They gave it to me after so many times of tears to recognize a new chapter and silver linings. From the deep grief and loss of my Y community, I came to lead 144 church services. I went into my spreadsheet and I counted. For more than 100 Unitarian Universalist congregations over the last two years. From the UU church that calls itself uh, the United States' southernmost UU congregation in Key West, Florida, all the way up to uh, Victoria, British Columbia, I also led more than 100 weekly dance classes every Friday morning over Zoom. And you're invited. It's still happening. We'll talk about it. Read your newsletter. My father died 19 years ago this week. And surviving his loss is one of the things that called me into ministry. And I keep hearing his twangy voice saying, Your arms must be tired from all that flying. I felt like I was going all around the world, even though I was in my home. 
And from that silver lining of getting to know people from our faith all across the continent, leaders of churches big and small, our justice activists and musicians, I want to tell you that the struggles you may feel personally or at this church are shared by your siblings everywhere. People are feeling these things, this loss, this how do we do this? How do we have a community? How do I go to a party? How do I talk to people? How do I send my kids to school? If I look tired, it's because I've been wrestling that with that last one for a couple of weeks. How do I send my kids to school? It's a lot. But we come together to know that we are not alone. We are not alone, and those are not empty words. I really saw so many congregations living what you're living. And so at this time of interim ministry where we're thinking about, looking at, praying about, being about our history, who we are now, what we want to be, please remember that we are held in a great circle of love. In this year, I also continue to serve as the minister and executive director of your Texas Unitarian Universalist Justice Ministry. That is the state action network for UUs, for living our values in the public square. And I'm excited to work with all of you on building the world we dream about. This church is a member of that state action network. But I tell you that because I was called into that role because my friend and colleague, the Reverend Chuck Freeman, had gone through a health struggle of his own that continues. And now he is Minister Emeritus of that organization that I lead. My title here is Minister for Joy and Justice, but, and that really is the grounding of my life. Dancing, music, justice work, our spiritual practices. Noticing when Kelly Stokes mentions we have a big unicorn sprinkler, kind of offhandedly, we have a big unicorn sprinkler. Well, let's bring that in here. Lifting up the sparks of joy in our lives. But even with all of that as the focus, I come to you with that grounding in what it is to know grief. A friend of mine said, you're really just a grief doula now. It's an honor to journey alongside you in this way. I'm excited for what's possible, for the moments when we're going to get to jump for joy and I also just want you to know that your ministerial team and the lay pastoral folks and everybody here is here to be together in what's hard, too. All right? Don't you ever take that joy and justice phrase to mean you can't tell me what's hard. You honor the ministers and your friends in this church when you tell the truth of what's going on in your life. So, let's talk about Miriam. I love that poem, I Am the Daughter of Miriam, from my friend Mandy McGlynn. And oh, when this piece came into my life in seminary, talk about gratitude. So I grew up in this church with not a lot of Bible. We just, we didn't have a lot of it. Christianity and the Jewish tradition are part of our heritage. They're part of our sacred sources. We welcome your beliefs in an array of foundations and sacred texts here, absolutely. And the ministers that I had when I was growing up here didn't 
didn't lean into the Bible too much. Now, for me as a justice seeker, I want to be able to move in interfaith spaces and draw on the places in the Bible that speak to liberation. So I love this one. I got the Poverty and Justice edition of the Bible that the Reverend Dr. William Barber, Bishop Barber of the Poor People's Campaign, uses. And I live to highlight books, but they've already highlighted this one for me. Do you need a book highlighted? Do you know where to find me? But they, the orange ones are things that have to do with joy. I'm sorry. There's joy in here. But no, poverty and justice. Very, very important. Okay. So, but this piece in the Song of Miriam in Exodus, which the feminist scholar Carol Myers has described as the most important book of the Bible, the journey from being enslaved through a long wilderness to the promised land. When I read this piece, I invite you as you are willing to connect with your own ancestors about this. Because it's true, and especially in this climate of white Christian nationalism, that some people use these stories in a way that is not how they are to be used. I do not ever want to see the Bible used as a weapon. And I invite you to think about your ancestors. Were they possibly those who enslaved people? Were they those who were enslaved? Is there a place in your heart where you are on a long journey to the promised land? The Song of Miriam, Exodus chapter 16, verses 19 through 21. After the Israelites had walked safely through on dry ground, Miriam, the sister of Aaron, was a prophet. So she took her tambourine and led the other women out to play their tambourines and to dance. Then she sang to them. Okay. It's about four lines. We got a lot. We got a lot to cover. Number one, for me, when I first started reading this, it was about representation. Here's a female prophet who's a musician. And I'll say to you, that's what Reverend Meg was for me. She was the first minister I knew at this church who was a woman and who sang and played the guitar in the pulpit, and it changed my life. I, it changed my life. Next, for you yous out there who are word people, that's a lot of us, there's a two-letter word in here that is my favorite part, so, S-O. Miriam was a prophet, so she took her tambourine. Not Miriam was a prophet, but she had a tambourine. Not Miriam was a prophet, and by the way, we tolerated her tambourine. No. Miriam was a prophet, so she took her tambourine. Her music, her joy practice, who she was, was part of her prophetic ministry. And did she do it alone? No. She invited the other women out to get their tambourines and to dance. Lectio Divina is a spiritual practice of a deep reading of a text, and I have been reading this for years, and it reveals new things to me regularly. And so the newest and most favorite thing that I have to share with you about it is this. Not only does Miriam bring her tambourine, the other women bring their tambourines. They pack these loud, 
clanky, not especially musical, but definitely portable instruments in their packs when they could have saved extra room for water or food. Not only do they do all of that, what faith, what sense of of abundance to do all that, but they do not wait until everything is perfect to get them out. Yes, they've come onto dry land, but there's no way everything is fixed. There's no way. We are still, as a country, reckoning with enslavement and what it has done to all of our souls, to all of our lives, to all of our systems. The work is yet to be done and will be done for a long time. So we're not going to wait to have joy. We're not. So I invite you to ask yourself, what is my tambourine? What is my instrument of joy? Maybe it's a hula hoop. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a walk in the garden. Maybe it's your pets. Maybe it's a deep conversation with a friend. Bring it. Bring your tambourine, your spirit of abundance, your spirit of love, your spirit of community to this church day in, day out, Sunday in, Sunday out. Someone needs to see what it is in you that makes you a prophetic witness in this life. Lived experience is one of our sacred sources in Unitarian Universalism. You have something to bring to this place to inform the work of interim ministry that we're doing. And who you are, just like who Miriam was, who you are is going to make a space for someone else to be who they are here. You don't know who it is yet. I know what it's like. There are a bunch of you here. When I saw you this morning, my face lit up. You're here? That is you too to other people. Bring yourself. Bring your gifts. Whatever your tambourine is, please bring it. And please invite others. Remember Miriam. She did not dance alone. She did not say, ooh, I'm just going to dance. Y'all can do whatever you want. No, she invited other people to dance with her. Let's invite people in. This is a unique and special time in the life of this church. Let's invite our friends, our family, the people that we don't see here today. And if you're online, share. Share. It's a wide world out there. I just want you to take these things away from today, if you would. One, that you are loved as you are, and we're going to grow together here. Two, that we are not alone in our struggles. You are welcome and important here. And three, we are going to find our joy and our justice together on this journey. Thank you for being here and for the chance to be here with you. Blessed be. Join me in saying the words to extinguish the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we're together again. I invite you to look at the people around you. Just take a look around at your community. Give someone a nod of appreciation, recognition for being here today. 
When we would be online, those of you online, I would say, you could touch the hands of the people in the Brady Bunch Square or the Hollywood Square next to you. Do that at home if you want to do that at home. If you're with someone, all things by consent, who is willing to hold your hand during this benediction, by all means, let's connect. If not, you know, however you want to ground yourself in the moment. God of many names that knows no man-made borders, speaks all languages, and loves us beyond all knowing. Spirit of life and love, great mystery, thank you for this day. Wherever one door closes, one door opens. Promise me that you'll give faith a fighting chance. If you get the choice to sit it out or dance, May we dance. Amen. Ashe. Blessed be. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.